Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller. I'm Susie Younger. An African-American licensed psychotherapist. I'm also a licensed therapist. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias. Anything that marginalizes and oppresses. As a white woman, I ask the questions white people are too afraid to ask. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, Susie and I will have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? Just call me Cora, she says to everyone she meets, and we do. Our next guest is a dedicated warrior, all right. She's a pastor, an author, a mother, and daughter to the world-renowned Bishop Jakes and First Lady Sarita Jakes of the Potter's House. Cora is unafraid to show the delicious, imperfectly perfect human that she is, mirroring humanity for all to savor. She is a leader in the community and is a healer who also is the director of the children's ministry at the Potter's House of Dallas. We are thrilled to have this compassionate, artistic, and loving voice on our show today to share her story. Take it away, J.D., Hi, Cora. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to meet you. It's a pleasure to be met. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. that. So here's the thing, right? You got a little bit of a big name public family that you're a part of. Yeah. What's it like being born into a legacy like? I wish that I had money for every time someone (laughs) asked me this question. I feel I would be a millionaire by now. It is all I've ever known. It's what I've grown up in. My parents were very big on making sure that we put our best foot forward and that we maintained a normal life to the best of our ability, whatever normal is, Mm -hmm. so to speak. And so we didn't grow up like having to tote scriptures or my parents telling us we had to preach or that we had to prophesy. Like literally, they just wanted us to be good people. There's five of us. And I think that we all, if you ask them, have done very well in teaching and showing that we're good people. That's amazing. So you're the oldest, right? I'm the oldest girl. Okay. I'm in the middle of us all, but I'm the oldest girl, my father's firstborn. Okay. Okay. Got it. And so was there any additional pressure that came with being that person in the family? I think so. Just because, like I said, I'm in the middle. We all grew up together. My brothers, older brothers that are twins. And then my sister and I are Irish twins. And then we've got the younger brother. So I've always been the middleman, the anchor between the siblings and kind of the pillar of faith for my family. I'm the prayer warrior. I tend to put a lot of pressure on myself to remain the pillar of faith in the middle for our family, for sure. That's middle child stuff for sure. So we understand that. (laughs) (laughs) When did you start to preach and was there an expectation? I mean, was it self-proclaimed? 
It was self-proclaimed at five years old. I grew up watching my dad and my mother preach and speak. And at five years old at my graduation, we went to a predominantly white school and female preachers were just unheard of. And so they asked us, how old are you? What's your name? And what do you want to be when you grow up? And I grabbed the mic from the principal and I said, Hello, my name is Cora Jakes. I'm five years old. And when I grow up, I'm going to be a preacher just like my daddy. And my dad was in the back room just grinning ear to ear. But I, I grew up just watching him, watching his rhythm, watching his schematics, just the way that he flows and the way that he delivers the word. And I was mesmerized by him. And so I think that even though he didn't ask us to preach, I thought, why not try to shoot to be that amazing? I'm a daddy's girl just through and through. So it was bound to happen. Makes sense. You know, I'm thinking about the upbringing that you talked about and the fact that, you know, went to a predominantly white school. Did you have to have the talks that Black families have about being who we are in the world? We had those talks, I would say, a little later. We went to predominantly white elementary schools and then lots of mass shootings and stuff started happening. My mom wanted to travel with us. So we started homeschooling from about fourth grade to eighth grade. What we should have been talking about how to be in the world, we were kind of sheltered from that reality from the fourth to the eighth grade. When we got into eighth grade, which was high school, we went to a college preparatory school, got into eighth grade and learned about other religions, other races. First time ever being called derogatory names. It was a complete culture, religious shock for my sister and I. Like we had never even heard of other religions. We had never even like n- known of Satan worshipers. It was a complete culture and religious shock for us. Man, you got a crash course in difference, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But I think that being the the kind of person that I am, I found my footing. I became very comedic and I made white people comfortable using my comedic value. Mm -hmm. And so I always said what they wouldn't say. I always made obvious the obvious, you Mm -hmm. know, just to make them comfortable. No, I think that's a skill that we learned very young as Black people. So I'm not surprised you adapted to that quickly. Even though it was culture shock, there's something innate in the ability to make white people comfortable. We learn. Yeah, I think that maybe it was inherited too through my elementary Mm. kind of process because we were not poor kids. Mm -hmm. And so we were not the we weren't the average black kids. So they were upset that we were in fancy clothes. My parents would dress us up nice to go to school. Our picture day was absolutely ridiculous and over the top. We put ourselves in in a in a very great category of holding our our esteem up and mm-hmm. our confidence up and so in elementary school we didn't really get torn down or have to fit in because we were 
of an upper class, so to speak. Got it. Got it. All right, let's shift gears a little bit. You know, in the brown and black community, we are very much educated on the role of elders in our communities. And one of the things that I know I've heard throughout my life, and I know others have as well, if you don't have faith, you don't have anything to stand on. And, and so when you're going through a lot, can you talk about how that faith has guided you? Oh my gosh, my faith is the anchor by which I stand. I really feel that I would not be the person that I am without my faith. And when I say faith, uh, what I mean is an absolute trust and belief and confidence that there is a power that is working for me, that there is a strength that is made perfect in my most weakest moments. And I've seen that. I think that when we have faith in something that is more powerful than us, then we have the ability to manifest things that are more powerful than us. And so I put myself in a really great position to be faithing it. That's my book, Shameless Plug. It's my lifestyle. It's something that I truly believe is something we live. Faith is something that we live. It's not just something that we do, but it's something that we live. So let's dig into that a little bit, because I know right now there's a lot of faith in the community. It's being targeted by white supremacy and feeling just scared to be alive at a time where you would hope that it wouldn't be the way it is, but it is. It's an alarming rate of white supremacy that is attacking brown and black bodies. And so do you, let me not presume, do you change that, that message at all to match the fear with which people are moving through the world right now, or you stand, stand steadfast to that? You speak, J.D., of a gray area of which mm-hmm. makes me very uncomfortable. Fair, fair. <laughs> say, say what you're comfortable saying. I think that with me, I remain steadfast in an idea that faith requires suffering. Mm, My message is steadfast in we can't run away from it. It's going to worsen. The closer we get to reigning from a biblical perspective, the closer we get to reigning, I believe the closer we get and the heavier our suffering. And one of the first books of the Bible that I ever read and loved was Job. And so for me, I wasn't introduced to the rainbows and ice cream God. (laughs) I wasn't introduced to the he's going to give you all the desires of your heart type God. I was introduced to all of the things that you've ever loved and wanted and gained in life could be ripped from you in a moment and you got to trust God anyway. Wow. That's powerful. So when we talk about the hopelessness people have right now in terms of what's going on, I always say on social media, you know, black people are not okay. We, we put one foot in front of the other. We do what we have to do, but we're not, not okay, so to speak. So that's in line with what you keep putting one foot in front of the other. Is that fair to say? I think it's something that we, like you said, we've learned to do. It's an innate uh, ability. And I think a strength 
that we have, whether we want to really anchor ourselves in, in believing that there is true power in our ability to face our pains and navigate our way through them. If we don't really believe that, then we don't get to really put that foot in front of the other because we'll remain stagnant in the pain that caused mm-hmm. the suffering instead of seeing the success that can come from your suffering. And so I believe that we do. We as Black people, we as people in general have to suffer well. Mm. Okay. Again, back to being in a public eye. What grounds you? What grounds you in addition to your faith? Is there anything that grounds you along with your faith? Because people always have something to say. So how do you, how do you navigate that? As of late, therapy. <laughs> yes. Good. That was a shameless plug for therapy. Okay, for real. I really do believe that every traumatic experience that has happened in my life, one of the constant patterns for me has been therapy. And we almost, my family, when I was younger, used it as a, like an emergency, but you need to go to the therapist. Like this, this is a red button emergency. Now I'm learning that therapy doesn't have to be a red button emergency. It can be just something that you use to anchor yourself and navigate through those traumatic experiences that are above you. You know, like we are going to experience trauma that is way above what we imagined. I'm currently experiencing trauma way above what I imagined. And without therapy, without having friends that are going to check me and say, okay, what's wrong with you? So let's look at you. (laughs) I I don't think that I would be as anchored and even having friends that are big on mental health. That's one of the things that anchors me as well. Like my friends will be like, so what did your therapist think about that? Or my (laughs) sister will send me the feelings wheel. I don't know if you've seen the feelings wheel, but that that is Sarah's favorite thing. (laughs) How do you feel? And then we'll get the picture of the feelings wheel. So I try to keep people around me that don't think mental health is a crazy lane, but that they are seeing the benefits of us being able to manage our trauma and navigate through our trauma in a healthy way. That's just so great. Obviously, I'm very excited about that. We are very excited about that. What do you say to people who, and people have said this to me, I go to church, I don't need therapy. Can you elaborate a little bit on how you see those working together? You go to church, so you need therapy. Is what is what I would say. There's a lot of stuff going on in the church right now. It, we can't proclaim church hurt, but not proclaim that there's something that can help you through that church hurt. Like mm. we go to church and sometimes we get hurt in the church. And instead of saying, you may need to sit down and talk to somebody about that hurt. We say, I, I go to church. I don't need no help. No, you go to church. That's why you need help. We're not going to church because we don't need help. We go to church because we need help. It's a hospital. It's a place for patients. I love it. That's so great. I really appreciate that reframe. That's awesome. Okay, let's get to some shameless plugging. So let's talk about your books. Yes. Faith and It was my first book. My 
Auntie Jan, she is my agent and my auntie, and I love her and all that she stands for. She was reading my blog, faithing it came about because I was writing a blog about my infertility journey and how my faith just completely shattered after being diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome and being told that I would probably have trouble getting pregnant. I was typing my blog and literally thought faithing was a thing, like a real word. And I got the little red squibbly line up under yeah. and I was like, what do you mean? Like, surely. And I called my Auntie Jan and I was like, Auntie Jan, do faithing is not a word? Like, faithing it is not a thing. And she was like, you should make it a thing, Cora. <laughs> let's write a book about it. Let's do it. I I think it's great. And so I wrote Faithing It about how I literally had to accept the process of my pain in order Mm -hmm. to rebuild my faith back up again in God. And the prayers that I used to get me through that. Faithing It was a little less transparent, but more process. Ferocious Warrior, my second book, is much more transparent and uh, a lot of uh, prayers at the end of each chapter for both of my books. But Ferocious Warrior was about how I fight, how I fight through the obstacles of life. It is the very weapon by which I use to get through the the trials and tribulations that hit me and attack me. And sometimes I find myself needing to read it again, if only to remind myself of who I am, because Ferocious Warrior was something the people called me. It was never something that I saw in myself, but it was something that the people called me. So oftentimes I find myself going back to read that book, if only to remind me of the trials and tribulations that I fought my way through and made it to the other side. Okay, because you're in therapy, I can ask you this question. Does Ferocious Warrior set you up to never be okay with not being okay? Oh, yeah. Ferocious mm-hmm. Warrior sets you up for the absolute idea that it's okay to not be okay. And mm-hmm. it's very likely that if you don't really learn who you are and discover who you are, that you're not going to be okay. Okay, that's fair. Is the full title Faithing It bringing purpose back to your life or is it Faithing It? Faithing It. And then the subtext is bringing purpose back to your life ferocious warrior and then the subtext was dismantle your enemies and rise so where can people find uh, both books anywhere anywhere books are sold amazon walmart everywhere okay talk about being a mentor and your blog and why these are important to you oh man i am a mentor to i have about 20 mentees And I do one-on-one mentoring with them. And I 
absolutely adore it. My ability to walk them through inner healing and navigating to a better version of themselves. And I get to see that growth in just eight sessions that they'll sit with me one-on-one and we just hammer down. We look at our traumas. We navigate a different perspective for those traumas and we become better people. And I absolutely, it's one of the most passionate things that I feel I do and enjoy doing the most. So that's my mentoring. Let me ask you, do you talk to them about possibility of therapy and what that could be in their lives? Oh, yes, absolutely. Because sometimes I'm, you go above me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So there's only so much a life coach and pastor can do. So Mm -hmm. sometimes I'm like, oh, you know what? You may want to get some therapy in there alongside your mentoring. And I try to make sure that they understand that mentoring isn't therapy. Mentoring is about helping you to navigate what you have already planned. It's about helping you process what you want to plan. That's good. I like that distinction. Okay. And so your blog, are you still writing your blog? And and what does that mean to you? I'm just doing my call me Cora right now. I don't write anymore in my blogs, but I just do my call me Cora. I am rebranding right now because I'm divorced. And so I am rebranding call me Cora and my logos and everything. And my podcast will be probably airing a little bit after my 35th birthday, July 19th. Okay. Sounds good. In terms of the name of our show, which is changing the narrative, tell everyone what that means to you. Changing the narrative. I think for me, changing the narrative is about how you choose to represent your character when people aren't watching and Mm -hmm. how you choose to shine the light on your character when they are. I believe that changing the narrative allows you to be a fruitful person in a place that would rather you be dying. Changing Mm. the narrative is about being able to see the power in the pain that you have gone through and use it as a platform of success. I can see you preaching. And I actually saw some of your preaching and I was riveted. Definitely appreciate how you put it all together and make it very contextual. Cora, I want to give you the final word. What do you want to say? to Try people by the fruit that they show, not what you hear. Give people the benefit of the doubt because you never know what people are going through. Do mm-hmm. not underestimate the power of a resilient child. That's beautiful. It's really beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been a pleasure meeting you. you. Thank you for having me. Hearing your story. You're so lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much, JD. Take care and um, promise to come back in the future. Okay. And JD and I want to thank our fabulous producer, the Diane Music Group. And for all of you out there who want to do your own podcast, go to iammusicgroup.com and the team will hit you back. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller.